following program may contain coarse language, suggestive dialogue, and discussion of violent imagery and sexual situations. It is intended for mature listeners who can tell the difference between facts and opinions. Hey everybody, what's up? This is John Gremion, voice actor for Sentai, Funimation, Okratron 5000, and more. And you are listening to a Toonami Faithful podcast exclusive. Welcome to Nami Podcast listeners. I am your host, CJ, alongside Sketch, and we are here with a very special guest for the podcast tonight. Hello, hello. Uh, this is uh, John Gremian, who you just recently heard on My Hero Academia as Gentle Criminal. And obviously, with how uh, popular the series is, we're going to obviously talk about Gentle. And for me personally, I found his story arc, albeit short, one of the more... Uh, memorable that I've seen in My Hero which is almost kind of a cop out because every arc seems to be super memorable in that series but there was really something very special when you see his whole arc kind of come together and I'm curious how you felt seeing the entire thing play out after you were finished recording for the character right you know Gentle is a character that I really like I think he's I think he's actually become my favorite Uh, my favorite was Mihawk in One Piece for quite some time because you know you gotta love Mihawk; he's such a badass. But mm-hmm. uh, yes. <clears throat> and he's, he's a guy of, of principle and integrity, etc. But I think Gentle is gonna is gonna take the new mantle, not just because Hero is such a popular show, but I agree with you, and I'd like to hear your opinion about what uh, what you think was so cool about it. But for me, there's so much about Gentle that is relatable to so many people um, in a lot of different ways. I mean. The creators of My Hero Academia are really clever. They're really smart. They, they know exactly how to write a show that appeals to a very wide audience. And uh, a lot of the characters are so relatable. Like I said, you've got everything from, you know, people who dig Marvel superheroes to people who are into Harry Potter because you've got the school element to it and the faculty. You've got stories of people. Uh, their backstories are so varied and, and, uh, and different. Uh, you've got bullying stories. You've got unrequited love. You've got so much that people uh, can relate to when they watch the show. So it's it's constantly entertaining. It never gets boring for me. And it's one of the only anime series that I've actually watched all the way through. I've watched a, a, a few. Um, there's so little time to watch all the anime you can you can watch, but <clears throat> or all the anime that's out there. But what I like about Gentle and La Brava the most is is it's so interesting. A lot of people say, you know, after such an intense arc with Overhaul that was so dark and scary with uh, Saving Eerie, and, and, and then afterwards when you get to Hawks and you get to these new things that are happening with, um, with, with what's, going on, what's, what's, what's coming up in Season 5, presumably, people have been kind of a little bit at odds with it. They've gone, well, why are we all of a sudden taking this little cool break and are, are we just kind of taking it easy for a minute, talking about YouTube personalities? Who are these people? Is it's a little, They're a little bit wackier. They're a little bit sillier on the surface when you first meet them and not as threatening as villains, right? They seem to be, you know, Gentle's really deep down a nice guy. He doesn't really want to do evil. He tries to be gentlemanly about it, which is kind of hip. And La Brava, of course, is this awesome sidekick, and they seem to be more entertaining, and, and gentle really is the word for it, right? It's not as dark, it's not as, uh, as foreboding, but I like it because they remind me almost of these, um, you know, really old-school Batman villains, like on the 50s show, like, yeah. I'm going to steal Batman's coffee tomorrow, <laughs> or you'll never catch me, I'll run down this hallway and turn left. <laughs> yes, I mean, nothing they're doing is really seriously <laughs> threatening, but um, but I still like them a lot because when you get to their backstories and you give them time to uh, to resonate with you, there's a lot that's really deep and, and relatable and emotional, especially on the Brava side, I think. You know, So I, I, I think um, if you give it time, and you you let yourself get into their stories a little bit. It, it touches on on a lot of things that uh, a lot of people can relate to. And since you were at least asking us what we found at least memorable for gentle yeah. ourselves, yeah. I think what stands out to me is how much 
anyone can be gentle. And I don't mean like the adjective, I mean the character, obviously, but oh, right, we, right. we could easily be, you know, trying our hardest, it didn't quite work out, and then it kind of turns into this question of what are we really doing for ourselves? And it's just as, like easily Deku could have been just like gentle if Absolutely. it wasn't for All Might's kind of uh, giving him his powers and, you know, seeing something in him that really no one did. And I think the story of gentle is more about kind of potential lost and not really uh being uh cultivated you know not being looked at as seriously as it could and i i think that speaks to a lot of people who've read the manga with this arc and have just uh recently seen the airing of this of that arc in tsunami right and 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 who can't relate to having a dream that you don't quite feel that you've achieved and mm -hmm. who can't who can't in the world can't relate to letdowns in life or regrets that you have in life or uh it's so common for people to go through a period of their life where they don't think they get a second chance and they think they've ruined something or a drama teacher tells you you're never going to be able to act or somebody crushes your spirit or somebody either bullies you or tells you that or you try really really hard to do something you really want to do but you've got some limitation that uh that puts you in a place where you feel like you're second best or third best or you don't measure up. And what's really interesting about Gentle becoming a YouTuber is that, and this gets pretty deep into what's going on in our culture these days, you, you've got someone who, how do, I, how do I put this? A lot of people, because of social media today, can easily sink into this idea that Social media and having a lot of followers and being a really popular influencer on social media to a world of people you've never even met is not only how you're what measures how cool you are, but people take it even further than that. And they think I'm not even measuring up to I'm less than if I don't have enough followers. I'm not a, I'm not a decent even a decent person or a cool person at all. I'm I'm below the par if I don't have a lot of social media influence or social media attention. And it gets, that gets pretty sad after a while. And I think there's a lesson in there about his story about how you shouldn't pay attention so much to that. I think the writers of the show are trying to make a statement probably about don't, uh, don't pay so much attention necessarily to your life on social media. That's not always where real life is. That's not where everything counts. And I think a lot of people get stuck uh, thinking that that's where your real measure of a, the real measure of a person is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It does. On kind of a different note, this whole time, Gentle is like, I need to show the world something. Right. What do you, what do you think it is that he's trying to show the world, show heroes in society if his plan had succeeded? You know, I'm not sure it's even as much about whether or not he succeeded, because all he really wanted to do was say, look at me, ultimately. I did something. I did something that someone else could not do. No matter what it is, and no matter how much impact it really has, because all he wanted to do, he was even telling Deku when he was fighting with him, you know, I'm not really going to disrupt anything. I'm not really going to hurt anybody. I just want people to see that I could do this. I just want people to go, who's that? Who, who's that guy who just managed to get past the security and now he just says, okay, I'm here. All right, I'll go home. I'll leave you alone. I just wanted you to know that I could do this. Anything that will get him attention, I think, is what he is uh, trying to do. And I think with him, it connects to his backstory a lot. He felt like such a failure that he became this persona because he doesn't want to remember who he used to be. He doesn't think it's okay. It was so traumatic for him to be forgotten, to be to um, to be shunned by his family, by society. His his backstory was really pretty sad, and it was so traumatic for him that he just doesn't even want to be that person anymore. He doesn't want to be himself. He thinks that the person I am deep down at my core is someone who needs to be hidden away. I need to cover it up with something else. I need to be a whole different persona. 
But at the same time, at his core, he just wants to bury that and replace it with something else. He wants to. He thinks that if he can, if he can get enough attention in any way at all, he it will somehow wash away what happened to him before, even though he's kind of disguising himself. If that makes sense, you oh, know, totally. he's, it's really mm. interesting. But I don't. Yeah. I don't think he's necessarily trying to. He's so self-absorbed and he's so selfish that he's even willing, uh, like he says in their fight, to do whatever it takes, even if he's going to disrupt Erie's ability to have a good time for the first time in her life. He's, he's so wrapped up in his own problems that he's losing sight of, of the bigger picture. And that's, mm. I, that's, what, that's the lesson he learns. Do you think that uh, his relationship with La Brava might have gave him more uh what's the word i'm trying to think like do you think it made him more aggressive to get his message or whatever it could have been out there more considering that those two are very much kindred spirits so i'm sorry say that again sorry <laughs> what uh, um i'm wondering if uh, his relationship with la brava might have made him feel more urgent to get his message out there just because <clears throat> of how her story oh, right. related related to his and like they were very much kindred spirits uh, throughout yes, their maybe, time together. Yeah, maybe so. I think there's something to that. And I also think that there's an episode where he's alone in his apartment. He's realizing that his, his YouTube video didn't get any views or not enough views in a month. And she knocks on his door. And for the first, he says, you were my first admirer. You're the very first person who came up to me, sought me out and wanted to have anything to do with me and wanted to support me in my dream. I touched you in some way. I, I got to you in some way and made a difference in your life. That's the first person whose whose life he's made a difference in. So it's I think it's crucial to him to prove also to her that he's worthy of her attention. Right? That he he doesn't want to fail because he also wants to show her, you know, the support you gave me means a lot to me. It means everything to me. And um and it's such an unusual and interesting relationship. Uh but I think it's really pure. Mm -hmm. and yeah i was gonna say like how did it um feel for you when you finally finished a recording especially towards the uh end with his kind of very uh emotional monologues that he was giving to both deku yeah. and la brava yeah it was it was it was moving i mean it was it was great i mean keep in mind that it was very interesting the recording of this because three up three the first three episodes i was in six episodes and the first three episodes were recorded at Funimation Studios. And then all of a sudden, COVID-19 blew up and they closed the studio down. And I had to record the last three episodes, which were the most intense, in my apartment, in my like audio booth, in my closet that I have set up with a pro microphone. And we had to kind of spin a whole lot of other plates. So it was not the typical situation where you can just walk into a studio and and um, and there's an engineer taking care of everything. The director's on the other side of the glass. It's a very streamlined process. Funimation had to come up with a whole new process to help us get these episodes recorded. And so in a way, it was really a cool achievement that we were able to pull it off because we felt very, we felt very proud of it after it was over. We said, we said, this is, you know, people want to see these episodes. We want to continue recording them. We all want to keep working, but we need to do it safely. So, and I'm really happy about the decision they made to do that. And Colleen was fantastic. Colleen Klinkenbeard is an amazing director and she was very patient and her engineers were great. And luckily I'm a video editor and I've been a video editor for about 20 years. And so I was able to uh, work with my equipment with the, along with the engineers to make it work with, uh, to make their process work pretty easily. But it was a lot of work. It was very different to record those, those last three episodes. So by the time we got to the end of them, even a regular episode would have been kind of tiring when you're trying to engineer it differently and record it and get it all get and get the emotion of the character, et cetera. And by the time we hit the end, it was it was a little exhausting, but it was it was really um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We, I was, we were really proud of what we were able to do. So I was I may have strayed from your question a little bit, but um, it was pretty it was, it was a little emotional. I mean, it was. It was um, I was able to use, you know, almost as a method actor, I was, I was able to use some of, the, uh, some of the exhaustion of the situation that we're all going through to kind of, in my acting a little bit, to kind of let that play into 
I'm going to miss this character. I'm really proud that we were able to do this. And I was able to kind of use that emotion in those last scenes. And I would think it would actually, like, I'm sure fans felt that raw emotion from uh, the way you were kind of drawing in your uh, kind of situation that's going on right now in the world. Like, I, I think that's tremendous yeah. being able to channel that and be able to use that for such a, as I would say, very powerful arc and very, very important. I think it's. I think the lesson that's taught by that arc is shouldn't be lost on fans uh, if they're watching like the series uh, completely. Yeah, right. I agree. I mean, I I, I really um, for such a short arc, it, it really it had an impact, and it was uh, it was really fun to record. I, I was really I was also really happy about it because I usually don't. I'm usually not asked to do a lot of accents. I've done an accent as a French accent in Food Wars. Uh, as Chef Chappelle and now Gentle Criminals, a British accent. And I grew, I was one of those kids who grew up, you know, listening to Monty Python records. I was a kid, <laughs> of the, kid of the 70s, right? So I was listening to vinyl records of Monty Python and keeping my family entertained on family trips to see relatives by reciting all these Monty Python sketches and all the different British voices. And so, but you almost never get to do a British anime accent. And Colleen sent me the audition and I was so happy. I was like, yes, we get to do a British guy. And so he looked British to me. He's pouring the tea. He looks completely like a, an absolute caricature of a British gentleman. And so Colleen said in the audition email, she said, I'm not sure what I want to do yet. I might want to do American. I might want to do British. Could you give me both? And I emailed her back and I said, you know, for what it's worth, I can't look at this guy and not hear a British voice. And she, she, so she eventually agree, we agreed that it was, it was cool. She asked a lot of people actually online. She went to Funimation's Discord and asked the fans uh, their opinion about it. You know, do you want this guy to be British? Do you think so? And a lot of them said yes. We think at least when he's on camera or, or being his persona, he should at least then be British. Um, so we decided it was a good idea to take him down that road. And I was very happy about that. How about that sketch? Fans getting to help out with that kind of That's decision. Interesting. I, I had no idea that Colleen did that. Yeah, yeah. She was asking, she was getting uh, opinions from fans on, uh, I think it was Discord. I think Funimation has a Discord. And if I remember correctly, she told me that she uh, wanted to get feedback from people about what they wanted to see. And she let that kind of influence her decision. And a lot of fans liked it. They said, yeah, I was really happy that a lot of fans reacted well to it. They didn't say, okay, we don't like this. They, they dug the fact that he was British, and, um, or at least that he put on that persona. Um, and that's another angle on it. Um, he, may, he may have grown up in Japan uh, as a character, as like the other characters did in, the, in going to UA, but his persona may be just that of this, okay, I'm going to put on this whole new act. And, and now the person that I am is not that old person. Now I'm a different person. Now I'm British. Uh, that's another way to look at it, too. Hmm. But, uh, but I, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was um, really fun to, to uh, give him all those quirks and idiosyncrasies. It's, it's, it's really fun to watch a villain try to be a villain, and at the same time he can't stop being a gentleman and a nice guy. Because you get a lot of comedy out of that. Mm -hmm. And the comedy was really in the writing. It's like, I'm going to blow my whole cover in front of Deku because he talked about tea. Oh, lovely, wonderful. Oops. You know, and he's, he's, <laughs> he blows the whole thing right there and starts fighting him because he can't resist talking about tea. Yep. That's a general pretty, move for you. Uh, that was pretty funny. I liked it. And I loved what, uh, what Megan Shipman did with La Brava. She was fantastic. That was going to be Absolutely. my next question. Like, I was curious how you felt because not only do you get this raw emotion from Gentle, but Labrava is, oh is all emotion. It's like I'm curious how you well, felt about her performance too. Listening well, to Brava, oh yeah, she killed it. Uh, Megan crushed it. She had done some other. She had done another voice, I think, in earlier in My Hero, and then she was asked to do uh, Labrava. And we met for the first time at Funimation Studios when we had to record one after the other, and then we had to do a behind-the-scenes episode. Um, on Funimation's website about the episode, about one of the episodes and uh, the arc. But we couldn't give too much away because we were only halfway through the arc. So we had to be careful about what we talked about, even though we knew how it ended up. And she, um, she really nailed her, that whole personality 
and she really nailed uh, the emotion of that of that uh, big scene when she had when I was defeated, and um, it was trending on Twitter that night when it played on Toonami. I don't know if you watched. We were watching Twitter, but the La, the term La Brava was trending all over Twitter. It became one of the top, you know, <laughs> trends over the next 24, 12 or twenty four hours. Uh, she got a lot of uh, she got a lot of attention for that scene. It was pretty intense. I mean, I I kind of kept it very low. I didn't have to blow up like she did. She had to go full on. She got she had to be hysterically crying and 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 on probably and she did that episode from wherever she was recording at her house as well. So it's she wasn't in the studio either. That was a later episode, and she had to set up her recording stuff at her house and just like everybody else and nail that level of emotion as well. So she killed it. Overall, an amazing feat. Yeah, yeah. She should be pretty. She should be really proud of that. No, I, I love these characters. Um, I hope that uh, one day they maybe get to come back and and uh, and use their powers for absolute good. Help the heroes out. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Sketch wants an sure. OVA series of that. <laughs> I do, do absolutely. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. What? Oh, he would want an OVA series of just Gentle and LeBron. Just a spin-off series. Oh, of heck yeah. Let's go. Bring it. That'd be awesome. And I think kind of the, the big thing for me with My Hero Academia, and I'm curious since you've said you've been following it, what is it about the villains of the series that are not necessarily always relatable, but galvanizing? Because you have, you know, One for All, who gives out powers to everyone, which I'm sure is a very, like, you know, think of like... Uh, the Adam and Eve with the snake giving the apple kind of thing. It's like giving away like right. promise over oh, to people. Wow. You have Stain yep. who, what a true hero is and like how his ideals are actually very kind of on the scale of good, but the way he executes it are bad. And then even gentle right. where, right. you know, he was rejected by society after he tried and he's just kind of like, he, he was feeling that uh, dejectedness toward himself. What's about the series with their villains that really kind of, really get people thinking about these sort of things in the series. Yeah, I mean, it, it runs the gamut. They're getting deep about these people. They're, they're really careful to make every, not every hero, not just every hero, but every villain be very three-dimensional and very tormented. I remember that one episode about, what, who's, what's the villain's name? I think his name is Twice. Yes. Yeah. Twice. Twice has this episode that begins in this darkened apartment, and he's got this little AC unit that's got mold on it, and he's getting up in the morning and smoking a cigarette and looking out the window, and he's and you hear his real personality, and then he puts on his outfit and then walks outside, and he's all of a sudden he's the villain. All these villains, the great thing about the the whole series is that all of a sudden. Um, it reminds me of the cable show, uh, Netflix show, Orange is the New Black, in a way that, that everybody gets a backstory. And you never know when you're here going to hear about their backstory. And you never know when you're going to have a big episode that focuses only on them, just out of the blue and surprises you, right? Um, I forget who the hero character is. He's a student. He's got, is it Red? Red, uh, Red Riot? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He all of a sudden got this amazing episode with Fat Gum, or right up, right around the time that Fat Gum was fighting uh, some of the villains. That he all of a, he was kind of in the background, like one of Bakugo's friends, and that's you just know him as kind of one of Bakugo's uh, follow along sidekicks. Hey, what are we doing today, boss? But then he got this amazing episode all of his own, where he really got to show his his strength. You never know where the show's going to go in that way. You never know who's going to get a a big backstory uh, reveal, you might find out something. And the show has the freedom to do that. It has the freedom to bring in all kinds of new students, new villains. And that's that's another thing built into the show that's going to keep it lasting a long time, I think. And I'm really, it's really cool to see how even the villains are not just, because no one is just evil, right? And any actor you ask who plays a villain whether it's like Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs, or it's uh, you know, any, take any of your real major villains in a in a in a movie or a book or TV show, no one is just hey, I think I'll be evil today for no reason. You know, everybody's and actors have to find when you play a villain, you have to find a reason why you think what you're doing is a good idea, why it means something to you, and why it's the right thing to do. There's always a reason that makes total sense to you 
why you're you're doing something that's going to be evil to a lot of other people. You're not just you know I'm I'm just evil. So it's and the my hero really focuses on that. It really lets a lot of that breathe. It lets you understand why these people feel that way. Why Stain felt the way he did. Why Gentle did. Um, that's what makes them. That's what makes them vital characters and galvanizing and and uh, and interesting. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I know Sketch and I both agree. Like the villains of this series are just so good. Yeah, yeah, because they're fleshed out. You you understand where you understand where they came from, or if you don't now, you probably will some de- sometime down the road. Uh, so I guess, you know, we, we've been talking so much about my hero and honestly, we could, yeah. we could talk about that for day. I, I know I could, yeah. I, I, I know, <laughs> I, I know, I know sketch would kind of get bored. No, he loves my hero. I'm just teasing him. But, um, I do want to say, uh, how did you enjoyed, uh, food wars considering that you're Roland in that? And I know he's not necessarily like an instructor that you see as often as, right. you know, others, but being on such a wacky show like that, I'm sure yeah. like you were like, wow, this is certainly something. Oh yeah, it's great. I mean, I wish he would show up more often. Actually, I wish I wish they would just make him. Who's the guy who does the Iron Chef or or whatever? Uh, oh, Ramsey. Gordon Ramsey. I wish he was. Yeah, I wish he was just a French Gordon Ramsey. That's that's yeah. who I saw him as first. I said, <laughs> okay, here comes the Gordon Ramsey of the series, and he's just going to be around the corner of every episode, just telling people how terrible they are. He's going to be the Simon Cowell of this uh, of this food academy, and <clears throat> he's kind of faded into the background a little bit. I don't know if they'll bring him back again uh, in the future. I don't know what his future is going to be, but he made, he made a really strong impression when he first came on. And I really liked, cause everybody, everybody can relate to the teacher who you're always afraid of, you know, mm-hmm. the faculty member who you look up to, you almost want to be that person. Um, you wish you had their confidence. You don't know if their confidence comes from, real knowledge and real brilliance of their craft. I mean, I think in his case, it does. He knows what he's doing and he's done it his whole life. And so he's so strict about it. But some people, some people who have power and intimidate a lot of people, they do it because they know that it works and they're not necessarily brilliant at what they do, but they just know how to scare everybody. And if they just keep yelling at everybody, people will leave them alone. And that's how they stay in power. And when I first saw Chappelle, I was like, okay, which which one is he, right? Is he just this? Is he just full of hot air and he just knows how to scare people and go, oh, or does he does he really know what he's doing? But I think he does. I think he absolutely knows cooking like nobody's business. And of course, he's from France, so you know if you're not <laughs> if you're not a good uh, if you don't know how to cook and you're from France, you know you're not worth your salt, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's the that's the stereotype anyway. Mm-hmm. The French yeah. chef is, he knows everything. So he's, uh, <clears throat> but he was super fun to play. I mean, it's always fun to play characters who are very unlike you. Like, I'm nothing like him. I'm nothing like Chappelle. I'm nothing like Mihawk specifically or whatever. But it's fun to play those guys because sometimes when you go into a studio and you play a character, you don't really have to find a part of yourself necessarily that you can relate to. But you can just kind of dive in and get crazy with the idea you have of who this person is. You know, you can just go, wow, this person's so unlike me that it doesn't matter what I do. I can't fail. I can just go for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And just see where this takes me. And probably and, uh, the uh, the biggest question that any of us on Toonami Faithful will ask, what were you, what was your reaction when you first saw the foodgasms? <laughs> you know, I think the first foodgasm I saw was Chappelle's foodgasm when he was going, oh, it's merveilleux, it's the steak that you had the honey on. I think they're great. I think they're hilarious because they're not, they're not over the top. They're not disgusting. They're not, you know, not, not necessarily not safe for work, but they're, they're funny. You know, they're like everybody, everybody can relate to some amazing meal they had one day or some incredible dessert. And it's great uh, that they can take it and make such a comic moment out of all that. And they, I think they know that people are going to say, Hey, did you see this week's foodgasm? Yeah, it was off the chart. <laughs> I, I love them. I think I think it's really really funny. Well, I I definitely can agree. That's one of our favorite parts of just the zaniness of yeah. it. But you've mentioned yeah. it quite a few times, and I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't let Sketch get to oh, yeah. talk about one his favorite show, near dear to his heart, One Piece. 
you know. Oh, favorite show. Okay. It, it is, yes, I, I would definitely say that. Uh, I, I'm curious. You've actually had the time. You've actually had the time to watch all of it. <laughs> I mean, I probably did, but I didn't. Wow. <laughs> it's a moving target. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> are you are you up on the manga? No, no, I'm not. I'm not really wearing my. Uh, favorite show on my sleeve so well lately but all right well yeah you know yeah. i have a, a deep lot. fondness for what i have seen of one piece we'll put it yeah down. yeah well it's a whole lot to keep up with i mean it's how yeah. many episodes now how many televised episodes in japan it's over 900 yeah now. i think it's like oh, 960 God. damn wow and they only only just now are taking a break due to circumstance like nothing right. else has ever stopped them right how about that that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the gift that keeps on giving, definitely. So yeah, Mihawk yeah. is like I said, he was my he's now my second favorite character. <laughs> I love Mihawk. I mean, there's nobody like him. I mean, he's he's the ultimate he's the ultimate badass. He's he's uh and he's very calm about it, but he has his principles. He um <clears throat> he definitely has a code of honor that he's very strict about and he never strays from it. And he's just impossibly perfect in everything that he does. I mean, you can't ever beat him, you know, or, you know, maybe Roanoa will come, come back one day and defeat him. He wants him to, he's like yeah. Sir Lancelot. There's this old movie, this old movie in the eighties called Excalibur. I think it's like 1981. The, uh, the legend of King Arthur was done in a movie called Excalibur. And it was a really popular movie in the early eighties. And the guy who played Sir Lancelot was, you know, really awesome looking actor. And, and he has a scene where he's, you know, Everybody's trying to fight him and he beats everybody and nobody can beat him. And he says, you know, King Arthur comes up to him and says, you know, that, that's you lack humility. You know, you, you don't you're just boasting about everything. That's that's just the way he goes. No, look, it's a curse. I don't like it. I want someone to beat me. I've never met my match. So he wants it's it's uh, that reminded me of, of uh, Mihawk's situation with Ronan Rosoro reminded me of Lancelot because it was like. I want you to come back and get good enough to beat me. Make that your goal. That's like something Mihawk almost wants. And I can't quite figure it out. Does he really want to be beaten? Or does he just want to know that he can mentor somebody else that he doesn't have to feel so alone at the top? Where, you know, is it is it so lonely at the top where no one can beat you that you just want someone to do it so you can go, okay, <laughs> I've got a friend. Somebody can somebody can do what I can do. I'm not just uh, I'm not just this freak of nature. It might be that. He also has sort of an interesting relationship with Shanks. Yeah. There's certainly some contention in there, but uh, yeah. get, they're, they're friends of a sort. Right, right. <laughs> He's, yeah, I mean, he, Shanks won't leave him alone. You know, Shanks always gets, seems to get the last laugh with him, you know. And the last scene they had, Mihawk was completely over it. Just because, you know, weren't you drunk? Didn't you want to do this? He's like, yeah, dude. Just, he keeps telling him to loosen up. And I think Mihawk wishes in some way that he could be as relaxed as Shanks is and just enjoy life a little bit more. But he's so stoic in his yeah. in the way that he does things that he can't quite be that way. Maybe he wishes he could. Maybe. So <clears throat> I, for the first time we, we see Mihawk, of course, early on in uh, the Don Krieg arc when he fights Zoro for the first time. I mean, it's such a powerful moment when he, <laughs> you know, scars him. And it says, you know, get so that's, better. And that's the East Blue, right? That's the East Blue, right? Yeah, yeah, that's all the way back in East Blue. Yeah, they're about to start running that on Netflix. Yes, they are. They yeah, are. In, yeah, in June. That's going to be great. The, the, the East Blue, we got to re-record it because they redid it for, uh, for uh, the special for episodes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was awesome because the animation is so much better and, uh, and the fight is so much cooler. And I got to say some cooler lines, and you know, it was we it was revisiting a favorite fight. You know, you think, oh, I want to re-record that again one day. Well, I got to do it. It was really really fun. And you know, Sabbath's greatest. That's a rare opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really fantastic. Holding up the tiny blade, no matter what he does, like, yeah, you're not hurting me. Too bad. I love that. He just slashed it at it like mad, and he's like holding a tiny little knife. Yeah, and he's just bored. He's bored with him. It's like, yeah, you're oh, 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 are you done yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's great. 
I do have a question about uh, Mihawk's voice because uh, I was I remember watching obviously the four kids version at first when I was yeah. a kid, and then obviously Funimation rescued the license and they started doing it. How did yeah, he you was and, uh, that wasn't he? Yeah, it was just like how did you uh, come up with the voice for Mihawk? Because it definitely kind of caught me off guard when I first heard it, <laughs> and not in a bad way, just like I wasn't expecting. Yeah, that. no, 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 it's interesting. I mean, I first kind of saw him and I went, okay, I don't want to completely like Anigo Montoya this guy. I don't want him to be a <laughs> necessarily. I don't want him to be that kind of dude. So Mark, I want to come up with that. something, something that sounds. I want to come up with something that sounds clever, and something that uh, that'll work. And I th- I think honestly it might. I've 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 not seen the very first appearance of him in a little while, and I'd have to go back and look at it to see if it completely matches. And I think it does. But what I did with him is I kind of started with a British voice that was kind of snide, like Alan Rickman almost as Snape. And then I took away the British. So, you you know, you're kind of talking like that, you know, and then, or not necessarily Alan Rickman, but something like that, someone very snide and conniving. And then you take away that British and then you've just got a bit of a nasal thing where he talks like that. And he's very, you know, that's where it kind of ended up. I just kind of played with this idea of who do I think is who do I think's got that slippery, really confident snide attitude? Well, British came to mind, or Rickman did, and then I said, well, but he's not British, so I just kind of stripped that off of it and and played with it for a, a little bit in the studio until it worked. And they said, okay, that's cool, we like it. That's awesome. That's, yeah, it's kind of where it came from. Uh, yeah. like i said it, it really blew me away of like wow that's so like it, it felt like even though it may be kind of dry to like when you first hear it, but it, it felt like personality it really did like it was quite uh-huh. a personality he got yeah well you know it's interesting that when when you know when you're a stage actor or a film actor you not only have to sound like that but you've got to look that way you've got to convince people in every possible way that you are that person right and uh but when you're just doing the voice, you're just you're giving a facet of it. And it's a very important facet because audio is really, really important. Whenever I see a music video or an interview or anything, if the audio is not there, if it's not clean, if it's not produced well, if it's not, if it doesn't have the right power, you don't want to watch it. It, it just kind of, I'm kind of going, nah. The, all those different elements have to come together, I guess, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes yeah. total sense. But uh... yeah. I know, I know for, for like sketch, at least when it comes to one piece, it's just, there's so many just amazing characters that just the not necessarily, they're just everywhere. You know, it's just, it's one of those things that I find super enjoyable about the series. And like I said, I don't have to convince my co-hosts about how amazing the characters are in it. Right. Uh, Nope. Nope. Definitely not. Yeah. So, so in, in regards to that, I, I find the relationship between Zoro and Mihawk very interesting particularly in this stuff that is unfortunately beyond what actually aired on Toonami, but, I mean, it's been long enough. We can talk about it. So Zoro ends up in the middle of nowhere, and what do you know? Mihawk's there. Right. (laughs) And he he prostrates himself in front of him and says, I can't get better unless you train me. And he's like, why would you choose to do that? I'm supposed to be your rival. He says, there's something more important to me than beating you yeah it's it's such a weird thing about a code of honor you know the 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 codes of honor between people like that get so strange because normally i don't think many of us would do that in life hey yeah i'll help train you so that you can kick my ass one day no you wouldn't do that (laughs) no but but they but they definitely warrior code nonsense yeah yeah it's it's that cool warrior code nonsense exactly exactly and yeah, I liked that because Mihawk at first didn't want to do it. He's like, "Yeah, you're embarrassing me. Get out of here. Let me have my wine and leave me alone." But then he's like, "All right, you know, <laughs> he's got nothing to lose." Yeah. Because I think if he beats him, it's not going to be. I well, I hope that if he beats him one day, uh, me it won't be Mihawk's demise. It'll just be okay you're my equal or you're better than me or you managed to knock my sword out of my hand or you got a stab in or you cut me. It'll be something that small that it'll be really dramatic. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm hoping that's what happens. I hope they get to have that battle one day. Same. Someday. I don't, want, uh, I don't know what Mihawk's future is. I hear that 
the next thing coming up, according to the manga that I know of, is that he's just sitting in his chair waiting for people to come get him. Right? <laughs> They're trying to get rid of the uh, of all the uh, the guys at the top, and he's just waiting for him, going, "Okay, come get me, come at me, bro." <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> I'll have like two lines, and that'll be it. They'll call me to Funimation to have me do two lines. It was so funny when we did a uh, stampede. I think I had two lines. So if you watch all of Stampede, it's just this cameo. He's like, okay, that was my job. My job's done. I'm out of here. Come on, ghost girl. Let's, 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 we're out of here. Me hawk out. It's the One Piece Max Tuxedo Man right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that cool. Yeah. I like, I mean, it's great to play a character that cool, but yeah, but more lines would be nice. Yeah. But, I'm, but I'm glad he gets to appear in Stampede. Stampede was, uh, Quite right. Yeah. It, it's well, funny. you know, yeah. One Piece loves to have their cameos. Yeah, you bet. Mm-hmm. You bet. Every man, they, everybody was in that thing. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Kind of moving and away now you for can believe. Stream it on oh. Funimation for sixty days. Oh. No yeah, way. Yeah, that's a thing. Oh yeah, cool. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, the dub. Wow. <clears throat> oh, awesome. that's. I'm gonna have to check that out then. Jeez. Yeah, that's that's so generous of them. Usually with movies, they really hold off on putting them up to stream and they, you know, expect you to go buy it. Still buy it, please. Yeah. Well, do you, guys, do you guys, do you guys know if the manga is still going to be produced, even though, uh, uh, I we're doing that, that is still happening. There are going to be longer breaks. Yeah. 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 I mean, Oda needs breaks fairly often, all things considered. And sure. Sure. <laughs> so that's not too different than usual, but it's, Still trucking along, more or less. Thank yeah, goodness. okay. Because let me tell you, I need a Shanks versus Mihawk fight for real. I need oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days. One of these days. You can always do it in video games. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did the, I did a video game for Mihawk, uh, with Mihawk a while back. A long time ago at Ocratron. Yeah, that was, uh, that was the Wii game. Uh, yeah. Unlimited, Unlimited Adventure. Unlimited Adventure, I think is what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun game. Yep. Yep. I, I enjoyed it. So uh, kind of to move away from at least Toonami shows that you've been on, there were at least two kind of, I would say not necessarily underrated hits, but just ones that I knew a lot of people talked about that I wish right. more got to know was both yeah. Princess Principal and Flip Flappers. And I'm curious. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm curious how you felt about both those projects, but I guess that reaction says it all. <laughs> <laughs> Princess Principal especially was really fun because I got to do more British. I got to be a Cockney guy. I got to be this uh, Charles Dickens character, kind of like an a, a evil guy that ran a school and was mean to the students or something like that. It was mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's talking about that. You know, leave me alone, right? And, uh, and he gets his butt kicked. Uh, but he made it, he made it uh, like a brief appearance. And then I played a Japanese um, diplomat who was on the train when they were having a, a fight on the train, the, the the lead characters, and that was that was interesting. I, I had a coach actually at Sentai to help me with the accents a little bit, the pronunciations of some of the words, or how a Japanese person would actually say English words, because that's a little that's a little tricky. Right, because in the dub they actually have people speaking in different languages. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and then which I is had really to- cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And then I had to, and but I, but my character was speaking English to the English speaking characters, so they could all communicate and get their get their job done. And and so I I, uh, I think we brought in a couple of people for pronunciations of certain words, or to make sure that I said things correctly, because I was like, uh, guys, I'm not quite positive <laughs> that I know how to say this or how he would say this. So so that but, was one of those days when like, okay, we got this role for you. Is like. I don't know if I can do this, but we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm sure other voice actors have all have all shared these stories with you where, you know, most of the time when you walk into a studio, you're just called in. Hey, John, you want to come in and look at this? You haven't read the manga. You haven't seen any of the series. You don't know what you're doing. You've never seen the character. It's a job. You walk in like it's any other job, and you've not even read a script. So you just kind of walk in cold, and a lot of anime is a cold reading. Just like you go to an audition and they say, hey, here's a script for the first time. You're playing so-and-so. Let's see what you can do. The director gives you uh, a little bit of background. Um, 
and you you need to be, and that's why we always tell people that it's great to be an actor when you're uh, that the main word in acting is voice is in voice acting is acting. That it's better if you've taken improv classes, if you've taken uh, if you've got some skill at coming up with things on the fly, because you need to you need to come up with a character pretty quickly, and you need to decide how they sound. And so what I usually do is I walk in and I say, let me look at him real quick. Let me look at this character, and something about the physicality usually informs how I think he'll sound. Um, and we play with it a little bit. And sometimes what will happen is that you will start on a certain level. And then as you get more into the session and get more into the recording, it changes a little bit. And by the time you're done with it, you the voice actually sounds a little bit different. And I always say to the director, can we go back and listen to the first few lines and maybe we'll need to re-record them because I'm really in the zone right now by the time we're done. So can we go back and listen to my first lines? Because I'm it might be a little shaky. And sometimes the director's taking me back to the front and going, okay, good idea, let's check it out. And it doesn't sound quite like it. And so we redo those first lines again now that I'm really into the character. And I've had more time with the script and I've had more time, you know, acting off the other characters in the show. Dang. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would never have guessed so, that. That's awesome. Yeah, that does happen, and and you know, directors are really—they're usually really cool about that. They really—they actually appreciate usually that, you know, while you've got me in the booth, let's make sure it all sounds uniform from the beginning. Um, and a lot of times when I go in, uh, I was talking to a few directors about this recently. There's a certain uh, there's a certain range that people get used to. They, uh, I think a lot of directors will say, you know, this is a John Grimion role. This is a John Swayze role. This is a Lucy Christian role. This is a Colleen Klinkenbrough or whatever. Um, um, because they're used to hearing what they sound like the most in most of the animes they've seen. So they'll, they'll call you in because they see a certain character and they go, I'm hearing that voice that I know John does a lot. Or he's really good at or that I hear him do very often, whatever. So they'll call me in and Kyle or someone will say, oh, it's just, it's just you, it's just you, but maybe gruff. It's you, but maybe a little bit more nasal. It's that character you did a few shows ago with me, but I want you to make him 10 years older <laughs> mm. or something like that. Uh, that happens a lot. So sometimes I tell directors, hey, you know, throw me a curveball. You know, show me, you know, let me do something I've never done before. So I just did a show about basketball with uh, with um, a uh, Nusora. Uh, oh, uh, Nusora. Yeah. yeah, cool. So I'm playing a basketball coach. Kyle Jones directed it at Sentai. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and I'm this old crotchety man, and I'm just this coach who comes in and says, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do, boys." Yeah, you know. And I love doing that because it's, it's <laughs> easy and it's funny and it's it's the get off my lawn guy, you know. He doesn't love you damn, you damn kids with all your fun, meh. You know, it's that, <laughs> that kind of a dude. And he got to be a basketball coach, and that was a whole lot of fun because that's that doesn't sound like anything. I like being able to. Uh, I like people coming up to me and going, "I had no idea you did that voice because I've never heard that out of you before." Hmm. Uh, you know, you want to have some versatility on your your demo reel, so to speak. Jeez, man, I think you so, kind of get that versatility when we hear you. Is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon, honestly? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I'm a pretty gruff. Like you, you Talk about somebody who's not like me. Yeah, I mean, you've done I'm gruff, like, but like that is like to the extreme. Yeah. Like not even Mihawk's <laughs> that level. Yeah, that guy, that guy could crush me with his pinky finger. He could just kind of <laughs> flick me out of the room. <laughs> Big old dude. So, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah what yeah. are some others? Um, well, I know you've done the coach in Haikyuu. Which I yes. mean, I love Haikyuu, so I mean that's that's yeah, just an easy kind of like yep, of course, of course, of course, kind of thing when you hear that. Yep. But uh, but a lot of my a lot of my characters for for most of the shows that I've done were you know more of the cop, the dad, the older guy. I've got a deeper baritone voice, and it's gotten deeper as as time has gone on. Um, uh, twenty years ago, or twenty over twenty years ago, like for when I first started doing shows at ADV. I was able to do a lot more higher pitch stuff and a lot more higher pitch yelling that I just can't do right now. And so, <clears throat> because, you know, it's, it's age, but it's also use of your voice over the years and years. And some people will tell you that too. Some other people will tell you that as well, but there's stuff on my old demo reel. If I tried to do it, I couldn't do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. It's really high pitch falsetto 
screams. And I'm kind of glad I can't do that because screaming, you know, most most uh, most voice actors will agree with you too. You don't want to you don't want to scream for too long in the in the studio. You got to take some recovery time after that. But hmm. but yeah, they've been the voices have been deeper. Uh, they've been in kind of a baritone to almost tenor range, but not quite. But I used to have a higher voice. 20 years ago, I probably had a higher voice. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, as time goes on, I mean, that's usually the case with some people and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Sure. I know my yeah. voice is much different now than what oh, it was yeah. when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to sing like high tenor, and now I sing baritone bass <laughs> if I'm doing a musical or something. Right. Well, yep. I guess to uh, to kind of wrap this up, is there anything that you would like to promote? Uh, for fans uh, that are listening to this podcast that might want to check out, whether it be a new show that you can talk about, a project that you like, anything you're allowed to talk about that you're like, yeah, let's give this a shout out, kind of thing. Well, actually, the latest, actually, the latest stuff that I've done has been my hero. Uh, the last episode that I recorded of any anime was for Gentle, was for the last episode that he did. Um, so I think everybody's aware of what's out there. Uh, um, there's no secret. There's no secrets to to uh, to keep concealed at the moment. But you never know. I mean, um, there were a couple of lines I did uh, when I went to Funimation. Uh, something that can happen at Funimation sometimes or other studios is that you'll record your lines, you'll be done, and then they'll kind of walk you around the hallway and say, hey, John Grimion's here. Do you need him for anything? Or, you know, <laughs> this actor, do you have some Walla you need done? Do you need some extra character that you can't find an actor for? He's here for another 20 minutes. You want to throw him into something? So I did maybe two lines in Black Clover or I did uh, – you know some other stuff so you may be surprised to see me on the credits of some stuff but um but nothing uh nothing coming down the pike quite yet that that hasn't been known or hasn't been uh already revealed well hopefully there'll be more stuff for you to say nda for future interviews and things like no, that <laughs> as sketch and i both know nda is our favorite anime oh awesome it, it uh yeah always looking forward to the next season of nda <laughs> yeah <laughs> But uh, but John, thank, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, hey, talk with my us. Pleasure. I hope you guys. I hope you enjoyed Absolutely. it as much as we did. Uh, this was Absolutely a fantastic chat. Yeah, awesome, nice. Uh, and also, thank you everyone for listening in. Hopefully, you'll be checking this out on the Tsunami Faithful podcast on many different types of services that you could find us on. Hopefully, you'll check this exclusive out. And other than that, I hope you have a great day. And thanks for listening. Stay healthy, everybody.